Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Welcome, everyone, to the Future Tech Podcast. My name is Josh Thomas. I'm here with Kayum Rajam and Matthew Unger from iComply, which is a compliance platform for regulated digital assets. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, thanks for having us. How's it going? Hey, glad to have you here. So uh, I'm, this is a, uh, a very important topic, and uh, we've, we've recently had some, some other guests on that are talking about compliance um, but uh, you are specifically uh, focusing on digital assets that are already regulated, such as ICOs, as you mentioned, whatever they are called next, all the way up to securities. Uh, so uh, could could one of you just give me a little bit clearer definition on that? Why why these assets? Why I comply? Um, well, you know what the thing is is that compliance hasn't been easy. I started out in the finance world actually is where I started my career when I was 21. Um, I was the youngest broker advisor at the largest uh, wealth management firm here in Canada. And it was astounding to me when I came in and I was super excited about, you know, I've got this job in finance, it's going to be amazing and it's going to be sexy and exciting. And then you realize, no, it's, it's about pressing hard through four pages of paperwork and carbon copies and checking off boxes everywhere and reams of paperwork to do simple transactions. Uh, compliance isn't easy, but it's also not optional. And um, when you think of it in the traditional financial world, banks are spending uh, about 10% of their uh, gross revenue each year on AML alone. So uh, it's a huge problem. Um, the ICO world is very interesting because it really started out, uh, for me, the inspiration kind of came back from uh, well, two years ago, I guess, is really when it started, when I watched the amount of money being raised on the on the Dow. And I was really surprised coming from the finance world and having spent uh, almost a decade now in tech, was really surprised how uh, people could raise hundreds of millions of dollars with no ex- no consideration around investor protection or due diligence or compliance. And uh, it, was a, it was a little bit surprising to watch it happen. And then the you know, the theft or hack on the Dow occurred and um, and you kind of wonder what's going to happen next with this. And, you know, you fast forward a year and a half later and the SEC says, no, this is a security, uh, which gives us, uh, from a software perspective, gives us a playbook. So, you know, you see something like TurboTax Act, um, is, is there for the Income Tax Act. 
iComply is doing the same thing with the Securities Act. So if an ICO is looking to, or somebody's looking to raise with an ICO, uh, they can kind of do one of two things. They can continue uh, what I kind of see as a bit of a distraction, this whole utility versus security and trying to pretend like you're not a security when you're just creating a token for the sake of raising money. If the token doesn't have a functional piece of your of your software, your protocol or platform, whatever it is you're creating, uh, it's very hard to imagine that it would not be called a security. So um, our perspective is, you know, ICOs are in desperate need of compliance. We're actually the only solution out there that is an open protocol that will uh, handle both the issuance and the secondary trading. And we can do that across multiple blockchains. So, you know, you, you touched on an important uh, theme here, and I've I've spoken with, you know, dozens if not hundreds of companies now who have either performed an ICO or are about to perform an ICO. And uh, in, in private conversations, uh, I will always ask, you know, this sounds like a security. You're doing a fundraise here. You know, the, the SEC is very clear. They think that 99% of all ICOs uh, or all tokens are securities. Uh, the interesting uh, parallel here on the flip side is 99% of the people issuing tokens think that they're not securities. Uh, so somebody's wrong. <laughs> but uh, let me just Fair kind enough. of let me just ask this. Let me add this one thing, and I want to ask you about it. Um, I I always get the response. Well, we've got an attorney on staff, and he's a securities attorney, and we've gone through this with them, and and you know they're confident that this is not a security. And I actually get that a lot. Uh, and so you know who's who's telling the truth here, or does or or does does anybody actually know? Is is it enough of a gray area to where people can believe both sides of this spectrum? You know, it's really interesting, and this is actually one of the reasons that the platform came up to be, is because as we went to TechCrunch and all the different conferences and we ended up talking to different people, you know, they would say, you know, this is not an ICO, this is a token, it's an initial token offering. And, you know, in most cases, it was the same thing. And then, like you said, people have their lawyers, and in some cases, they, were, they paid them, let's say, seven, $800,000 to tell them that it's not a security. So it's not exactly black or white. But as Matt, Matthew said earlier, the SEC does have a specific playbook that they use for securities. And in some cases, many things look like security uh, and they act like a security. So in most cases, they are security. And the one thing you don't want is to be a utility token now. And in the future, maybe it comes back as your security. And so this is where we come in with the perspective that if you take care of the due diligence from the start and you make sure everything is good, all the all the compliance is taken care of as if you were a public security and you keep it to that same standard, you, run the, you don't run the risk of, in the future, everything rolling back. Because that's exactly what you don't want, especially for a running business. And, and, and it's worth saying, and I'd love to hear commentary on this from either of you, there's nothing wrong with your token being a security. You just have to go through the proper channels, right? That's that's a hundred percent. The you know there's the idea of raising with a security. Uh, the current global capital markets are worth 160 trillion dollars. By comparison, last year ICOs raised four and a half billion. So it's when you you look at okay, this is a great tool. An ICO is definitely I think ICOs are here to say, or this method of raising in a decentralized way is here to stay. And I, I think that that's a very exciting uh, advent in our in our you know uh, 
um, our, our time as humanity with, with financial markets. But the other thing that's really interesting is that a lot of people, there was the Cardone project recently who um, put out uh, a whole paper talking around how the SAFT um, creates all sorts of risks around being deemed a security. And you are potentially even more likely in using a SAFT to be deemed a security than if you didn't. And I think that, you know, I think there's some really valid points, but one of the things that I, uh, you know, that I took, uh, you know, I, I, I had a little bit of um, a disagreement with, or, or maybe a different perspective is a better way to put it. I, the, the people behind that project are very brilliant legal minds. Um, but one of the things that I really looked at when I saw that was it only really addressed the, co- the concept of it's risky to be called a security. You don't want to be called a, a security. But the truth is, is that, Maybe, you know, a couple hundred years ago, we came up with a printing press and we figured out how to print and we started putting money and stock certificates and things on this new technology called paper. And when you have a blank sheet of paper, the value you attribute to that paper, it really depends on what's written, who wrote, what on it, and and if it's verified by somebody. And with tokens, it's very much the same way. You could start with a blank token. And the governance that you program into the token is actually what can give it its value and give it its security, but it also allows it to to run within the guardrails of compliance. So I, I disagree with people that say we need a whole new framework before tokens can be um, can be regulated. We need a whole framework for for these uh, utility tokens. When in reality, I think we have a framework for raising capital and for securitization. There are many points of the Securities Act that need to be modernized, but we have a framework for this already. And I think as innovators, we need to start looking at the opportunities of actually using ICOs as securities rather than trying to run away to this. uh, What I I think the utility versus uh, security debate that's going on right now is a major distraction to when people could be focusing their time on how do we use these decentralized instruments to transform trust and integrity and bring decentralization into global capital markets. And I think that's really should be a bigger objective of us in the decentralized community. Yeah, and I think to just to add to that and make it into, I guess, one sentence, essentially right now, Max said it's utility versus security. And this has come because most of the projects being launched currently are, you could call them speculative technology projects, you know, uh, infrastructure, blockchain like blockchain infrastructure. And in some cases, that's a very valid use case of app tokens. But in taking just the token mechanism and you create a framework for securities, you can just create digital share certificates and you can utilize tokens to raise capital for real businesses. For example, real estate, using the tokens as just a share or something like blockchain capital did where you raise, you raise a fund and you issue the shares in tokens, which gives you all sort of additional features like corporate governance, uh, vote in uh, and just basically an ease of flow, including just something simple like the central depository system, where instead of having a trade clear in three days, you can have to clear in 15 minutes. So let's let's talk about this. You you guys are running a a company that is focused on compliance. I'd like to hear from each of you. Let's start with you, Kaim. What is the number one reason that a a token or a company does not comply? What do you think is the number one reason that they don't comply? Yeah, so in a lot of cases, you know, a company that is trying to launch a token hasn't had to deal with all of the compliance that, because uh, 
in, in the normal framework, a different company would take care of that. But now they're finding that they need to take care of offering documents. They need to first determine if there's security. And if they are, there's all the different frameworks they need to go through. Because you're trying to raise global capital, it, it, you're basically crossing boundaries, right? You need to go to the US laws, Canadian laws, European laws. And that's not just for securities, but now you're talking about the privacy of data, something like GDPR. For example, you have, I saw ICR recently where in their sign-up process, you, they give you a DocuSign form to fill out. And in that, you put all your data, you put a picture of your ID, and this gets sent back to somebody for manual review. Now, that means that somebody's there with all your data, ticking boxes, and somebody's doing, doing this for each single ICO that's on the market now. There's a lot of data flowing around, and there's a lot of people that are not looking to spend $700,000 on legal to make sure that they have the correct offering documents for each jurisdiction across the world. And this is because you're crossing borders with global capital, it makes things a lot more complex. And Matthew, what what would you add to that? You know, I think uh, I think he's right. I think the the fact that people are spending a lot of time on this uh, security versus utility it's one costing a lot of money, and and getting an opinion letter from from a lawyer um, to say, well, you're not a security holds very little weight when the Securities Commission comes in to say that's a security. But one of the big things. Um, around why a lot of these tokens uh, that claim to be utilities or have an opinion letter that, oh, it's a utility or it has utility, um, one of the big issues that most of them have to deal with is the secondary trading. So uh, an example is if I do an ICO today, I sell Q uh, some some tokens, and, and he goes through all of our verification, our KYC, our anti-money laundering, identity, you know, we verify this person is an accredited investor. There are, you know, like, let's say we set the same rules that Filecoin had, right? So we can only take U.S. accredited investors. But the problem is that the second that that token goes on to any exchange or somebody uses Radar Relay to, to, uh, to do a transfer from one token to another, they're now going into secondary trading. And the way that it's being done today without compliance, without any concept of compliance around secondary trading, what happens today is that issuer is the one who becomes immediately liable for that, trend, for that transaction. So even if you were to issue a token within the, the letter of the law today, an issue from the U.S., but you were not going to address the secondary trading part of the compliance, the second that you bring on the first non-compliant investor, you are immediately offside for your entire offering, not just that one investor. But your entire offering is now considered an illegal issuance of securities. So uh, it's, it's so you're saying risk. that any 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 token that goes on to an exchange is a security. No, uh, not necessarily. I'm saying that um, that's if you look at the Howey test, which is in the U.S. what uh, where where the barometer is set, the expectation of profit is there. Um, and if you say, okay, well we have a utility token, but we're going to allow for secondary trading, you're already making it very likely that there's going to be an expectation of profit. The SEC chairman Jake said in November that they have never seen a single ICO that did not meet a sufficient number of hallmarks to be considered a security. Um, I'm only aware of a, a, of a single ICO in the world that uh, that uh, a North American regulator has actually come out and said, this is actually a utility. There's only been one so far to my knowledge. Uh, Can you tell so, us what it is? 
Yeah, that was uh, CryptoKitties. They released a finished product um, on the Ethereum blockchain, uh, if you're familiar with it. But the regulator of where they issued from gave them, the regulator themselves said, this is not a security. So what that means is that the regulator says, we have no jurisdiction over this. Now, consumer uh, protection law like this, you're, you're selling us a token for a piece of software that's a digital representation of a, of a cat. Um, there's all sorts of other things about the CryptoKitties project, but the very interesting thing was is they finally, there was finally a bar set with the North American regulator of where the line of utility is. And they released not only can you, is the, did they release it as, um, as a non-fungible token, so they didn't do an ERC, ERC-20, they did an ERC-721, which was a token that they created and submitted to Ethereum Foundation was specifically non-fungible. So you can't buy, you know, one thousandth of a CryptoKitty. You buy a CryptoKitty or you don't buy a CryptoKitty. Um, and so you can buy and sell these, but they are uh, basically your your ownership of the token is your right to own that specific CryptoKitty, uh, which is very interesting. But from us and our perspective, we're very much more looking towards the world securities as well as I think there's there's another whole uh, aspect to to this whole concept of of using tokens for different things and and there's frameworks outside of the securities law that I think people should start paying some attention to. Um, one of them is a corporate structure that most people um, have some maybe some initial perceptions about, but what it does is essentially says in order for you to access this network and buy goods or services in this network, you have to own, you have to buy a membership share, and that's called a cooperative. And they are globally um, synchronized in their legislation. And uh, I think that when you're talking about compliance, you really have to make those decisions to say, okay, well, are we issuing a security or not? If we are, what are the structures? And not try to create something new, uh, like a whole utility token framework, which I see some people really pushing for. Um, that's that's fine in the long run. I think that there's there's a need for that in the long run. But it is also throttling the innovation um, that could be used with decentralized ledger technology today, where we can start taking this technology and start applying it to existing uh, frameworks that are, that are out there. So whether it's a cooperative or a corporate issuing securities, um, there's there's a lot of opportunity, huge amount of trillions and trillions of dollars of opportunity here, um, and people are getting really caught up in this idea of of utility token. So uh, take us quickly through the, uh, the the program that you've built, and you know some of the some of the challenges that you've faced in in developing uh, iComply. Yeah, I think there's, there's some of the major challenges. So you know a little bit about we're releasing our first product um, this the end of this month actually, uh, first two products, and the the first piece is that we offer a zero knowledge proof. Um, identity, KYC, AML um, for the investor for an ICO. So rather than giving every single ICO a copy of your social security number and your passport and all these other uh, personal information, when we know that sometimes there's 13-year-old kids spinning these things up in their basement, um, rather than doing that, you can take the concept of zero-knowledge proof and actually invest in these projects. The project themselves can can um, you know take receive funds knowing that you've gone through the anti-money laundering and KYC checks and balances, 
and they can actually see where you're at, but they don't necessarily need to know what you look like, what potentially what's your name. Um, whereas they might need to know the wallet address and any sort of risks associated with that address, like money laundering and, and things like that. So that's our the first product. Um, it's basically that whole identity KYC all rolled into one um, kind of a, a more turnkey product that you can embed into your token sale page and you can accept the funds from people without necessarily taking ownership of all their private uh, and identity information. Um, so that's one piece. Uh, it's taken us quite a bit of time to build that. And obviously, user knowledge proof and how to structure that in a compliant way has been um, a big hurdle. And then the other aspect um, that we've been dealing with is is around the secondary trading, and that has been um, uh, that has been the you know I, we kind of see that as a bit of the holy grail, because uh, there's a whole number of projects that are out there that are trying to create their own network, their own Ethereum, or you know launch on our platform, use our token, and then you can be compliant, use our exchange, and they create a, a infrastructure that has uh, built a lot of conflict of interest into it, whereas we are one of our core values was decentralization. We said we have to be able to architect a solution in a way that allows the capital and the tokens to remain centralized. And so an example, uh, you see, there was just a report that came out recently that showed how Bitcoin and Ethereum over 50% of the path rate is you know, down to 20 people, uh, 20 individual entities that are that have more than 50 percent of the hash rate so there's a huge effort to centralize and control uh decentralized technology right now um and kind of take control of these networks and i think it's very important that um you know when you see a token sale like airswap where they had massive wallet consolidation the week after they did their sale that what happens when you say you set a limit to your token sale and you say okay well you can only buy 500 tokens, but then the, you allow for secondary trading and somebody can you know, create these, like what happened with AirSwap where they used Filipino server farms to create hundreds of accounts all by 500 tokens and then consolidate them to one address afterwards. Um, this is some of the stuff that we're talking about, about uh, adding in governance into your token to make sure that those things don't happen during the live secondary trading, not just uh, at the issuance. So the secondary trading piece, uh, we call it the pre-facto compliance protocol. Uh, and that's something we're really excited to go live with. Currently, we're only going live on Ethereum, um, but that is where most ICOs are launching from. And we have a roadmap for a number of other protocols that we're going to be releasing um, the, the compliance layer for, which is kind of how we view uh, putting it as a layer of compliance over top of, over top of various blockchains. And what do you see, Kayum? You've been kind of quiet over here uh, lately. Tell me, what do you see as the uh, the future of compliance? Let's say the next twelve months. What what changes in the landscape are you envisioning? So, as as Matt said, uh, the regulators are coming out and they have drawn clear lines in the sand in some cases. Uh, what I think you'll see is people going towards more open infrastructure. You're seeing a few different companies and actually even countries that are trying to control the system from end to end, that they have their own token, listen to their exchange, they do all the due diligence, and then they list your token. This is an inherent conflict of interest, and it tends to centralize the market even more than it's centralized right now. So I think you're going to be moving more towards uh, open architecture, as well as, I guess, a bigger, a bigger focus on the, all the acronyms like KYC, AML, and all that stuff. Yeah, and so essentially, 
especially with the SEC having the new cybersecurity unit, what most people are looking forward to in 2018, which makes them nervous, is the concept of conveyor belt regulation. And so if you see one thing, let's, let's say the Munchie or the real estate ICO that was sanctioned recently, if you see one thing that looks like one specific way, then that means that you can roll out that same sanctions to all the other companies. So I think we'll see that more and more in the future as, as we see more scams come up and many of them with the same kind of uh, core, I guess, core scamminess, if you would say. And if I could add one thing to that, I think one of the things that people take for granted when they think about compliance is they're only thinking about securities. They're not thinking about uh, GDPR, which is around privacy, which is a minimum $20 million fine. Um, they're not thinking about class action lawsuits. There's a number of law firms in the U.S. right now that have a whole list of tokens that are currently live and trading and have raised tens of, or even over $100 million. And they basically say, if you participated in this sale, join our class action lawsuit and we'll sue because these people have a huge pool of money to be able to sue, we'll sue them because they issued, we'll sue them for illegally issuing the security. And we see this happening already with Bancor, Tezos, uh, and a number of other offerings already. And I think we're going to see a lot more of those types of uh, legal risks as well, where you just get sued for breaking the law before the, the law enforcement can even get to you. Well, it's, a, it's definitely a, a, an important task to get under control with all of the scams and Ponzi schemes and everything that's running rampant. You know, uh, I know that there is this uh, grand vision of the, uh, you know, the purest anarchist where everything is completely anonymous and decentralized. And, uh, you know, I, I was reading, somebody mentioned this, it's just not the world we live in. It's not you know, it's 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 not sustainable for us to really continue to think like that, at least, you know, 100%. There's some anonymity we can have. There's some independence that we can have. But we also need to protect ourselves in some way, and, and that's why compliance exists. Tell us uh, uh, just very quickly, um, you know, how can our audience, uh, as we're wrapping up here, how can our audience learn more about iComply? Um, yeah, I think there's – I think you're totally right in this concept around the anonymity anonymity piece. And I think the key thing to remember was the whole concept of blockchain and decentralized technology was more the opportunities for transparency and immutability. I think those were um, the things where we have a huge amount of um, huge amount of, of opportunity within this space. So yeah, um, anybody looking to engage with us, uh, there's you can go to our website, iComplyICO.com. Uh, we also have a Telegram channel, iComplyOfficial. Um, I think that those would be two good ways to engage with us. Uh, we'll be at the Bitcoin Super Conference if you want to connect with us there. Um, we're Right now, we're taking applications from ICOs uh, who are interested in issuing a compliant ICO from North America. Our focus is really from North America. We can do jurisdictions outside of North America, but if you're looking to use uh, securities regulations in Canada or the USA, um, those are kind of where we're starting as a specialty. Um, and then the other aspect is we're partnering with a lot of uh, the top tier um, ICO consultants and legal advisors to start helping them with their clients and with the deals that are coming through to assess, you know, the quality of the ICOs because everybody wants to do an ICO nowadays. So if somebody is interested, uh, they can bring their lawyer um, onto our platform and, and work right, collaborate with their legal, their accountants um, and their, you know, ICO advisors to 
actually compile their offering and 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 also compile compile what type of compliance metrics they want. Do they want KYC? Even if you're doing a utility token, um, but you're issuing, let's say, from Switzerland, you might not want to accept funds from the U.S. investors, and that needs to be uh, mandated into secondary trading as well. So you can set those parameters using the protocol, and then you embed it into your token, and, and you can go live. And so um, those are those are the kind of the key places. I think if people are interested, come check us out on the website. We've got a white paper there that kind of goes through some of the research around regulation. We're not it's not a white paper to sell a token. It's a white paper to talk about the you know the state of regulation in the industry, and we push out some updates shortly on that as well. Very good. And give us the website one more time. Icomplyico.com. Icomplyico.com. Thanks very much for joining us, Kayum Rajam and Matthew Unger from Icomply. You can learn more at icomplyico.com. We'll see you next time here on the Future Tech Podcast. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 